Welcome everybody to the Anyone's For Second podcast and this week we're having a special and that's right, I'm hosting. But Dave is here in the background, say hello Dave. Hello Dave, who are you? My name is Matt. Hello Matt, why are you hosting and not me? Because I know things and we thought this time let's mix it up. And I want to talk about something that you wouldn't necessarily cover. Okay, surprise me. This week, I want to discuss fan edits. Oh, good lord. Okay, right. I know I know of fan edits. First and foremost, I think we should begin by explaining what a fan edit is. So, my first question before I explain it is, what do you reckon a fan edit is? So, a fan edit, I'm assuming we are talking about movies here, not necessarily anything else. Predominantly movies, though. I have known TV shows to have fan edits. Okay, so my understanding then of a fan edit is a film that has been re-edited by a viewer a viewer of the product in question to suit their needs as opposed to what the studio wants sure okay we can go with that that's that's not too bad um you said viewer the product i'd say hence the term fan typically the people that will do edits are people that are actually fans of the franchise or the material in question yeah typically fan edits break down into one of three categories though there can be overlap the first is what we're thinking of as a fan edit which are known as fan fixes so essentially a fan fix has lots of trims sometimes new music cues or music entirely sometimes deleted scenes are reintegrated so that's our first okay yeah i'm with you Our second are more traditional extended editions, essentially where, as you know, DVD versions come with deleted scenes um, or extended scenes. An extended edition simply is they go, how many deleted scenes are there? I'm going to cram all of that into the film, regardless. Okay, I'm with you. That makes sense. And the third, and by far most interesting, are known as fan mixes. Okay... Now, these are typically two or more films that are edited down into a single movie. Okay, yeah. So essentially, these are quite special to behold. Okay, I'm with you. You weren't far off with your explanation, but broadly when we talk about fan edits, it's going to break down into one of these three sort of categories. One of the things we do need to discuss before going any further is the legality of fan edits. I was about to say, these don't exactly sound particularly legal, so to speak. It's interesting because, much like fan fiction, fan edits have had their fair share of legal trouble. So I'm now going to quote some American law. Oh, good lord. Oh, boy. the very least, I've only ever seen Hollywood fan edits. I've never seen anything from Bollywood or European cinema be fan edited. Yeah, I don't think you're going to necessarily get a fan edit of little-known BBC production of On the Buses combined with Porridge fan edits, I would say. But I have seen a fan fix of Charlie Brooker's Dead Set. Okay, yeah, I could see that, because that was always presented as a TV series, wasn't it? Well, it was put out as a TV series initially. Yeah, essentially the the fanfix cuts out of a lot of the excessive humour and makes it just more streamlined. Okay. Uh, Right, American law. So, 
under the Fair Use Doctrine, which is um, USC 107, it states there are four considerations. The first is the purpose and character of the use, be it commercial or non-profit, for example. The second is the nature of the copyrighted work. The third is the amount and substantiality of the portion used. And the fourth is the effect of the use, in this case of the fan edit, on the market for the original piece. Yep, I'm with you. Yep. The problem that all fan edits and arguably fan fiction run into is that of number three, the amount and substantiality of the portion used. Okay. Essentially, a fan edit is going to use damn near 90 to 95% of the original material. If it's a fan mix, like it's using multiple sources of film, so okay, it's using less, but then arguably you'd have each individual studio go, hang on, you've used a lot of our work. There won't be a single court in America that's going to see a fan edit that actually passes that third statute of being the amount and substantiality of the proportion used. As we said, it's going to be over 90% of the bulk of the original idea and content. Yep. Note that nowhere is there any specific criterion around whether the work is free of charge or sold. So even if it was saying that it was distributed by free by Hollywood compared to uh, a paid purchase, you still run into the same difficulties. Because it's all about IP intellect or intellectual property and what the studio owns. And basically, if someone else is profiting off of it, to quote Sonic the Hedgehog, that's no good. Perfect. I knew Sonic would help us out. <laughs> so to get to the crux of it, legally speaking, fan edits are not a grey area. They are totally illegal. It's completely illegal. <sighs> Sexy. We are the Hammersmith hard men. Where on earth did you get it? Car boot sale. However, practically speaking, most studios don't pursue fan editors. They would gain nothing but negative press by doing so, since ultimately fan editors aren't likely to have enough, enough money to pay damages or legal fees to make it worthwhile going to court. And ultimately, that's because they're fans of the media, rather than a competitor studio taking something and editing it down to resell. Yeah. The fan editing community does have its own set of guidelines, which is good. So rather than it being a free-for-all, there are some sort of guidelines that uh, is pretty much stuck to. Uh, almost. There are a few uh, provisos, a, a couple of quid pro quos. Um, essentially, they're not like the Ten Commandments are not carved into stone because this is digital age. They're carved into a computer somewhere <laughs> with a chisel. So what you're saying is that basically they have an unwritten code, kind of. Yeah. That yeah. is practical. Except it is written down on the internet. So, yeah, it's obviously written down, but it's uh, it's an unwritten code that they all practically abide by, in essence. Yeah. And the core principle that they have is that you must own the copy of the film, or films plural, being edited on the same format or greater. So if you're going to create or watch an edit of a Blu-ray film, or a Blu-ray quality film, but you only own it on DVD or VHS, for those of you that are old school, they would say that's breaking their sort of set guidelines. Whereas if you were watching or editing a DVD version, but you actually own the Blu-ray, that's perfectly fine by their standards. Okay, I got you. Because you own it, you've paid for the DVD, you've paid for the Blu-ray, that you've actually contributed to the content creator and the studio and everybody involved. You haven't just done something without offering remuneration to the original artists. 
See, it's very similar in some aspects to video game emulation in that fact, in which video game emulation is fine, generally speaking, as long as you own a physical copy of the game, because in essence, it is a backup, which I imagine is probably how a lot of these fan edits are, that whether it be the multiple films in one or whether it be kind of one cut down, it's essentially a digital or, you know, it's a backup of multiple films or one film or a TV series. Exactly that. So when I referenced earlier fan fiction, this falls into the same difficulties. Much like as you read out on your podcast, I believe, during your Freddy stream, that filthy thing of Freddy and Jason, was it? Oh, yeah, during Halloween, yes. <laughs> uh, Halloween even. So it's the exact same principles there, again. Well, these are two. These are both um, individual IPs owned by people. And you run into the thing of going, hmm, what sort of area am I here? Because I'm using their characters, you know, where, where does it fall? But it's the same principles, uh, essentially, it would be viewed as the same way, where really no one's going to come after you unless you suddenly go, right, that filthy fan fiction where Freddy gets it on with Jason, I'm now going to have it printed and sell it for many, many pounds and make lots and lots of money of it. Money, 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 money. You would totally be taken to court then and made an example of. In a way, it kind of reminds me of what happened with, I think the episode, by the time this goes out, the episode would have gone out by now, uh, with Fifty Shades of Grey, because Fifty Shades of Grey initially started life as a Twilight fan fiction. And when it got optioned by movie studios, they essentially said, right, you need to remove all references to Twilight, vampires, werewolves, and obviously it became the whole thing it is now. An info dump inside an info dump. Inception. So, we've covered the legality and we've covered your understanding. Okay. The next thing we're going to cover is the history. Okay, let me grab a chair and a comfy pair of slippers and a pipe. The earliest evidence of fan edits has to be the infamous Phantom Edit. Does that ring any bells? The Phantom Edit rings a bell because I think that I am assuming it's Star Wars Episode 1, right? The Phantom Menace. Indeed. And as far as I can ascertain, this is the earliest fan edit of its nature, or shall we call it a fan fix? Because we have seen um, extended editions. If you look at, say, Blade Runner, that's had 12 different versions or whatever or Terminator 2 where they've put out extended versions but those have been officially sanctioned by the studios whereas as a fan fix as far as I can ascertain according to Mr Google the Phantom Edit is the earliest recorded fan fix distributed basically it was all born because nobody really likes the Phantom Menace so this mysterious editor now I believe at the time their identity was hidden and it was revealed later online but can I find any reference to it nowadays? No, and I'm curious whether they've removed their name off the internet deliberately for fear of repercussions. I mean, there is a very good chance that the name was probably someone predominantly within Hollywood themselves, a Hollywood editor. So maybe having that as on their record doesn't exactly look particularly brilliant because they are technically committing some form of... Well, given that we've just covered the legality of it, I mean, it's not technically yeah, legal. I, I dare say it's fear of lawsuit. Well, anyway, the mysterious editor actually took the time to trim all of the Jar Jar Binks dialogue and antics, 
all of Anakin going, yippee, yippee. And every single reference to midichlorians, they also trimmed pretty much all of the politics. They changed the overall scene structure and all of the transitions to make them more similar to the original Star Wars trilogy. And I also believe they reintegrated a few of the delete scenes. So that's quite a harsh cut. And it was well received and it was so widely distributed as going, this is sort of the version of the film we wanted, George. What are you doing? George Lucas would argue with you in saying that that Jar Jar Binks is the key to all of this. The thing is, I would agree with him, except he backed down and didn't deploy his original plan for Jar Jar Binks in the sequels, which was to go, Jar Jar Binks is a Sith. He's behind it all. He's Palpatine's hidden hidden apprentice. That was never the plan. Well, he would have been. He would have been. That was always the plan. And then they backed down. Why do you think Jar Jar has Sith-coloured eyes? It's not Darth Jar Jar. I'm not having it, no. Well, it would have been. <laughs> anyway, continue on. Yeah, so the substantial edit of episode one sounds like it would have been completely thematically changing everything. Yeah, so the better. So essentially, that fir- that initial fan edit, that fan fix, opened the floodgates. Because interestingly, the most fan edited series by far, the Star Wars saga... Well, I imagine that Star Wars fans are probably going to be the most passionate about things in general. So I can see them wanting to correct what they may see as a pox on the saga with the prequel trilogy, shall we say? What they consider to be a pox anyway. Definitely, but then also I've seen what's known as the despecialized version of the original trilogy. Essentially, this fan editor had gone through and removed all of the additional um, special features and additions inserted into the original trilogy by George Lucas in the 90s to restore it back to its original composition, but then went as far as to then start going, I'm going to colour correct this, I'm going to add in new audio, and actually started rebuilding it from the ground up to make it how really the special edition should have been based on how they recall the original trilogy. Now, I've watched this and I thought it was brilliant. However, my reference to Star Wars, unfortunately, is the special edition based on how ages fall. I think I may have seen the original trilogy in VHS, but I don't re- remember them in enough detail to be able to then look to the special editions bar the things most commonly talked about on the internet being hand shot first and the weird inserted Jabba the Hutt scene where he steps on his tail. Yeah, and the dancing blue alien in, yeah, whatever it's called. I believe that's known as Jedi Rocks. I I will take your word for it. On the internet. I will take your word for it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they called the actress back who starred in the original trilogy to film this dance number for um, Return of the Jedi, and it's like she hadn't aged a day. You go, it's really great, but we kind of don't want this. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny you say about that because, I mean, I would probably have no need for a despecialized edition given that I have the super-duper ultra-rare versions of the original trilogy on DVD with the original uh, trilogy versions on them as they were presented in the 70s and the 80s along with the special editions from the... I want to say the DVDs are from the early 2000s, so it was well before... Darth Vader decided to scream no while chucking Emperor Palpatine down the well. Yeah, oh, terrible. Well, this is the thing, is that for the longest time, 
Lucasfilms would not put out the original versions on media to purchase. Yeah. So the only way to watch the original versions, if you didn't own the VHSs, was to look towards fan edits to try and pull it back. And it's only been in recent years where uh, Lucasfilm and Disney have gone, but money. <laughs> but I don't think they've restored them in any way. I think they are still as is. So it's a shame they won't restore them to a degree. Deviating. But. I know we're kind of deviating from fan edits at this point, but I remember hearing a long time ago, I think possibly during the... Uh, while they were filming and editing Rogue One, that somewhere in the Lucasfilm vaults there is a 4K version of the original Star Wars films. They were converted, but they've never been put out for whatever reason. Don't know why, but supposedly they are in there. But, I mean, it could be that maybe they're the 4K versions that we've got now. Could be, or maybe Disney saving them for a big anniversary to make more money. Who knows? Certainly not us. So one of the other interesting things about Star Wars fan edits is they all have brilliant names. Okay. So for a prequel trilogy, are you ready? Okay. Cloak of Deception. Ooh. The Approaching Storm. So I'm going to assume that's Attack of the Clones. Yep. Labyrinth of Evil. Oh, that's so heavy metal right there. That's the name of my new heavy metal album, everybody. Get it on Bandcamp. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like seriously like that those star wars films and the prequel trilogy specifically just the amount of effort and love put into them just puts a smile on your face even down to the titles you're just like yeah and the other cool thing is they design their own poster art for fan edits as well oh that's cool so they all have unique posters and you just look at them go yes this is this is what should have been done could still be done based probably on all the footage that are in vaults that people in the studios would have access to if if they so desired we are Darth Jar Jar and this is our album Labyrinth <laughs> of Evil <laughs> yeah told ya Darth Jar Jar <laughs> 10 out of 10 would buy on Bandcamp Friday <laughs> one more thing on Star Wars before we move along it's the Star Wars the War of the Stars. Did you know that Topher Grace did a Star Wars edit? No. Really? He did an edit of the prequel trilogy and Sony screened it for close friends. Huh, that's cool. Is that widely available yeah. on the internet then? No, he only screened it for friends. Again, I believe it's the same logic as going, movie studios don't go after fan editors because they're poor, broke people. Movie stars like Topher Grace. Ah... Uh... He's not a broke person now, is he? No, no, he's not. <laughs> he, he would have enough money to pay damages. So okay, fair play. He's only privately screened it. But yeah, so there you go. Breadth and reach. Even famous people are doing Star Wars fan edits or just fan edits in general. That's absolutely mad. Fan edits are even quite mainstream now. You only have to look at, say, the Snyder Cut. That is essentially a fan edit. Granted, he was the director of the original thing, but... He's a fan, and it's almost a fan fix, where he's going in, re-editing it down. Granted, it's with the studio's permission, but that's one hell of a, a fan fix. I mean, even Francis Ford Coppola has done it recently with the Godfather, Godfather Part 3, uh, Coda. Indeed. Hasn't he? Uh, mm. You know, kind of re-editing, rejigging things with that film. Whether it makes it any better, I don't know, because I've 
I've not seen The Godfather Part 3 or Godfather 3 Coda, whatever it's called. Mm. And even kind of, I, I guess in a way, even kind of things like the Aliens Director's Cut, when you think about it, is technically kind of a sanctioned edit in a way because Ridley Scott came back in, he rejigged stuff, even though kind of it's the same runtime and things, but he swapped out shots and there's different shots, there's different take, line takes and stuff that he wasn't necessarily happy with in the released version. So in essence, that is kind of what you would... I mean, I know it's under the guise of director's cut, but I mean, technically it would be. Same logic with um, the sequel, Aliens. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. It's called the special edition because he doesn't view it as a director's cut, but essentially it's just whacked in a load of extended scenes. Yeah. Um, or probably Alien 3, where you have the work print yes. version on DVD and Blu-ray. It's the same principle, Graham. These are mostly studio sanctioned, but they've gone in and they've spent some time to rejig things as best as possible. So, uh, different terminology, but I would say they're definitely parving. It shows how creative you can be with stuff if you're prepared to put the time in. And the money. The next thing we should really move on to is, have you actually seen any fan edits? Do you know, I think I've only seen maybe two or three in, in total. A lot of them... Well, I've only seen one fan fix. That being for Land of... George A. Romero's Land of the Dead, in which it excised about 20 minutes of the film. It's about an hour 40 in total. And I think this fan edit... Fan fix, sorry. Get my terminology right. Runs at about an hour 20, and it cuts out the majority of the lead zombie who has learnt and a lot of the, <laughs> the the gas station attendant yeah yeah and it cuts out and excises a lot of the uh more humor and basic inconsistencies within the the dead series as a whole and the one of the other ones i have seen because of course i have continuing on with the dead theme is a what did you say the extended ones were called? Sorry, so they're fan what? Sorry, they're, they're just called extended okay, editions. Okay, so the, so I've seen a, a super duper extended edition of the original nineteen seventy seven Dawn of the Dead, which incorporates all of the footage from the American film, the European cut, which has stuff that the American film doesn't have in because I don't know if anybody out there listening knows this, but there are several different cuts of the original Dawn of the Dead. There's an original cut, which is the director's cut that Romero considered his ultimate cut, which runs about two hours, 13, something like that. There's then a European cut, which was cut together by Italian director Dario Argento, who had a more predominant Goblin soundtrack. God bless Goblin. Thank you. And uh, they excised a lot of the political commentary that was in the original film and put in more gore. And I believe there is also... There is another cut as well, which I can't remember off the top of my head. There is a fabled uh, three-hour cut somewhere, which someone, some somebody somewhere has it. So there's per certain parts from that 
that are still laying about. So they've kind of got these three versions and kind of mashed them all together. And it runs out to about two hours and a half, two hours 45. And it's, yeah, it's it's long, but it's it's worth it because Dawn of the Dead. Am I right? Indeed. And I think possibly the other fan edit I may have seen. No, I've only seen the two. <laughs> okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an example. And I read this one online. I haven't seen it. Okay. Of what I think sounds mental, but brilliant. Okay. So this is a fan mix. Okay. This has four films spliced in. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Title of the film, Bateman Begins. Okay. What we have here is American Psycho. Oh, no. Batman Begins. Oh, no. The Dark Knight and The Machinist fan mixed down into one apparently cohesive story. What? Which shows Bruce Wayne's gradual descent into lunacy. Wow. Okay. That's, uh, I mean, that's something. That's certainly a thing. It's it's a real thing. Wow. Um, yeah. So like fan edits and such can lead people to be quite creative in very interesting directions. Have you seen any other fan edits, or is it just those? No, two? I've just remembered two more that I've actually seen. So there is one that edits Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman together. I can't remember what that's known as. Man of Tomorrow. Man of Tomorrow. I remember that one being okay because they make Man of Steel about 30 minutes or so at the start of the film and then the rest of the film is Batman versus Superman but super edited and concise and they do and they see they edited together the beginning of Batman versus Superman where the city's falling you see it from Batman uh, Bruce Wayne's perspective but they've edited it in with the Zod fight so it looks really really cool mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that and the other one I've seen, I think it's about three and a half hours, three hours. And that is the, there's an X-Men one where they've edited X-Men 1, 2 and The Last Stand into one cohesive film. Oh, yes. uh, I yeah. can't remember what they called that. It's something to do with the Raging Storm or Coming Storm or something. I, I can't remember what it was called now. It's got some really heavy metal name. For X-Men. Yeah, it'll be something to do with Phoenix, I imagine. Possibly. I don't know. Phoenix Force. Possibly. So, I have also seen fan edits. I imagine you've seen more than me. A little bit. (laughs) So, in terms of fan mixes, I've also seen The Man of Tomorrow, which is the Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman hybrid. Yep. And it is pretty good. That runs to about 2 hours 30, so it's quite manageable. Yeah. I've also seen a fan edit of Superman 3 and Superman 4. Oh. Superman Redeemed. And we're talking to Christopher Reeve's ones. Essentially with that, what they did was they went, well, Superman 3 is a bit campy with the exception of the one scene where Christopher Reeve splits in two and he has good Clark Kent fight bad bizarro Superman in a junkyard scene. Essentially, that's the one scene they keep from Superman 3 and they splice into Superman 4. But the logic is is when... uh, What is the name of the villain in Superman 4? The Rainbow... Nuclear Man. So when Nuclear Man scratches him, it does nothing in the main film. But what they then did is start to show Superman flying wonky, 
showing him get affected and what they're trying to say is nuclear man scratching him is what caused him to split into two which I went oh, yeah that works uh, that that sounds cool that works for me yeah and it was actually much better thing to watch these two sort of splice together and much more coherent story mm. I enjoyed it I think in terms of fan mixes that's all that I've seen uh, in terms of fan extendeds or extended editions and I think you may have seen this one is the Army of Darkness Primitive Screwhead Edition ah yes 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 I have seen that yeah of course alright you primitive screwheads listen up see this this is my boomstick so that is all three extended versions of Army of Darkness that are available via seamless branching so you can choose which version you want to watch and it just runs that way so you've got both the alternate endings and the alternate beginning depending on what takes your fancy to me the only ending that is canon is where he wakes up in the cave and he goes i slept too long i i kind of do like that ending but then we wouldn't have had the great line of hail to the king baby and i suppose for you you wouldn't have had Ash versus the Evil Dead TV series because I imagine it leads on from the theatrical ending of uh, Evil Dead 3. I believe it does. And I also can't believe you still haven't watched that. It's on the list. I've, it's on the list. It's on the to-do list. I promise. You and that list. Anyway, <laughs> the other extended version that I've seen is Terminator 1 Extended. Did you know that there are actually deleted scenes from Terminator 1? No, I can believe it though because a majority of films have deleted footage yeah um but i've never seen them on dvd or blu-ray releasing deleted scenes options and yet they reintegrate them into the film they're only little bits and pieces but it's quite cool actually same with big trouble in little china there's an extended i've seen that one yeah, yeah extended one of that and they use footage that was only available on betamax in one of the chase scenes at the start when um kurt russell was chasing the kidnappers uh, it reintegrates an extended scene there and you're like well why has that never been released on DVD or Blu-ray in deleted scenes it was only available on Betamax like mental so it does mean when you're watching that there's a sudden drop in quality um, but you know more Big Trouble in Little China is always good ah uh, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this who? Jack Burton me See, the most arguably notable and most well-known, well, within the horror community anyway, for fan edits, is probably Nightbreed, the Cabal Cut. I don't know what that is. Tell me more. <laughs> so Nightbreed is a film that is based off of a Clive Barker novel and is actually directed by Clive Barker called Nightbreed. So there is a... 102 minute theatrical cut that is available in the wild arrow video very recently within the last two three years or so have actually put out a licensed director's cut which runs at 20, 120 minutes the cabal cut is essentially the work print version of this film so it's kind of been discovered down the back of clive barker's sofa or wherever they've found it wherever they've decided to find these things and it incorporates in a lot of footage from uh, work prints that were found on VHS and kind of from the dailies and stuff that they would have shot at the time. And it kind of comes out to about three hours. I want to say there's like an hour and a half, an hour of extra content 
that they've found that ultimately make the story and the film a lot more cohesive and basically make sense because I've not actually seen Nightbreed, but from what I can tell and from what I've kind of researched online, Nightbreed was a film that had a lot of studio interference. One of those. One of them, of course. One of many films that had a lot of studio interference and Clive Barker kind of having to cut things out of scripts and a lot of it where he's filmed it. A lot of it, I mean, Nightbreed's quite notable for its absolutely horrific uh, kind of special effects and makeup. So kind of seeing that all put back into the film, I imagine, is quite exciting for a lot of horror fans and uh, fans of films and disgusting things in general. The Cabal cut is a thing that is well known. So when you said a well-known horror cut, I thought you were going to reference Halloween 6. Oh, the producer's cut. Possibly. Yeah, I thought, yeah, is that Halloween 6 or Halloween 7, 5? Uh, it's it just reminds me of the 5 Hall- or 6. Yeah, it reminds me it's of the, one of them. Reminds me of the uh, Simpsons joke of what's Rocky 4 plus Rocky 7 take away Rocky 3. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Simpsons did it. So yeah, I thought you were actually going to reference that Halloween uh, edit from the producers where I believe the producers added in more gore and had the ending where uh, Ant-Man batters Michael Myers to death. That'll be the sick one. Paul Rudd. Whereas the theatrical slash official release is where the ending has... It's very open-ended, isn't it? Well, the, the cult leader transfers his powers to Donald Pleasance, who has seen evil. <laughs> he has looked in the eyes of madness. Yeah, he's seen deep, dark evil in the eyes of madness. And Michael Myers is trapped in like a pentagram circle or some nonsense, some runes or something at the end yeah. of the hospital, some bollocks. Yeah, I don't know. I thought you were going to... It's gonna... not a good film. No, it's not. And we will be discussing Halloween in greater detail, hopefully before next halloween (laughs) yeah no unfortunately not i mean the cabal cut is the thing that instantly came to mind because it's so notorious and it's well known within a lot of horror circles because the cabal cut is the thing that it supposedly exists somewhere somebody has a version of it but it's never been kind of confirmed or denied that the studio has it so a lot of fans have put time into kind of reinstating all the things back into the film and to try and make it as close as booked to the book as possible because the cabal the name the cabal comes from the fact that the book nightbreed is based off is called cabal uh, okay right yeah <laughs> moving on moving on so in terms of fan edits or fan fixes that i've seen i've seen judge dread where and we're talking to 95 I am the law. I knew you'd say that. Version, not the 2012 Dread version. Judgment time. Uh, essentially, they cut all of the silliness, and Stallone only says he's the law once, which is fine. Says it once, not repeatedly. Cuts a lot of his one-liners. Um, they 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 date pretty much a hacksaw to that film, and it's far more enjoyable for it. It wasn't a great film to start with, so by editing it, it doesn't leave too much. 
I was about to say, it's like that old saying, you can't polish a turd, but you can add flavouring. Yeah. Um, another fanfic I've seen is Terminate 3. Subtitle. That one's called The Oncoming Storm. The Coming Storm. The Coming Storm. I knew there was one with Storm in the title. Yeah. Much better than Rise of the Machines. The Coming Storm. Come on. Think of the imagery associated. Uh, and I think the main fix with that is they cut the scene where Arnie puts on Elton John's sunglasses. Yeah. I would imagine that and probably the TX growing boobs, bigger boobs uh, as well. I would imagine. Cut so much from that. And it's like, I think almost every scene gets trimmed. It's truly obscene the amount of edits they had to do to make that film passable. Fanfics I've seen is Batman Forever Red Book, which is funnily enough very similar to what fans are wanting called the 10,000 cut. Yes, yes, God bless the 10,000 cut. <laughs> yeah, we should probably explain that for people who don't know. Uh, yes, we should. Would you like to explain that one? So, Batman Forever is directed by the very, very wonderful, may he rest in peace, uh, Joel Schumacher. Supposedly, there is a version out there which is darker, more intense, and generally all around a much better film. And you're going, Dave, why, why, why is it called the 10,000 cut? Well, supposedly, this is the amount of men that he slept with in his lifetime. <laughs> yeah, I think he was, must have been having a competition with like Gene Simmons or something for the amount of partners. Um, it's not so much that a darker version exists, it's so much that the footage exists. Ah, I see, okay. Uh, so the Red Book actually reintegrates delete scenes that are available on a DVD, such as a giant um, flying bat in one of Bruce Wayne's... Um, sequences where he's traumatised oh, and, yeah. and the red book itself is um, essentially his father's diary and he keeps seeing it in visions I've seen the scene of the bat online yeah because it's all focusing on his psychological issues yeah. trying to didn't the studio say something silly like you have to cut it out because it's stupid or it's daft it, it's saying like well let's cut that scene of the bat and then get a close up of Val Kilmer's arse <laughs> yeah there, there is that as well yeah and um, so the red book does a lot of those trims it trims a lot of the silliness trims a lot of two-face tones down a lot of the silliness um trims a lot of the over-the-top elements of the soundtrack as well it's much closer to the Tim Burton films but again you can only do so much with the material available whereas if if fan editors were ever let into the vaults of these movie studios then we could get some very interesting different versions of films oh, good Lord, uh, become yeah. available especially these older films where you hear that they filmed like hours and hours and hours and hours of footage and lots of alternate takes you could really get some interesting things occur oh good lord yeah Another fan fix I've seen, I believe, was Dune. Yes. But I kind of didn't like the film of Dune. I'm just going to let that float there. Yeah. I've read the books, quite like the books. Well, I've read the first two books in the main Dune trilogy. Haven't read the third book or any of the spin-offs. Quite looking forward to the new film, if that ever releases. 
but I didn't like what they'd done in that film in terms of their interpretation, so the fixes weren't sufficient because I didn't like the core of it, sadly. Well, I think I watched that with you, and I think I turned around to you for the majority of the film going, what the fuck is happening right now? Why is there a floating space while? Why is it doing this? Why are they doing that? I don't understand. Well, was, I was then going to you, that's not in the first book. I don't I don't understand this. What? And it's like... the. The floating space well isn't something they reference till like the later books where it's a mutation. Like, okay, and then it's like his his uh his fighting technique where he puts on this plastic thing in his hand and it like shoots like psi force. Whereas in the books you've got a really cool fighting style. It's got no silly nonsense like that. I just imagine it to be like Krav Magar. Anyway, before we turn this into the Dune cast, what what did they do in the fan edit for Dune? They did add a lot of weird scenes in. And they cut a lot of weird scenes, but ultimately it's just a disappointment. Yeah, <laughs> not for me. Any other fan things you can think of? The other notable one I can only think of, which has just popped into my head when we're talking about Batman Forever, was Batman and Robin deacified. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been waiting for you to bring that up. And Batman and Robin deacified for those of you who have never had the pleasure of seeing the original cut of Batman and Robin. So. Batman and Robin is, by all accounts, not a good film at all. It's very camp. It's very, very over the top. So the deacified edit cuts the film down from, I think it's about two hours is the original runtime, down to an <laughs> to hour. 50 minutes. <laughs> down to 50 minutes to an hour. They cut out bat nipples, bat crotch, because that's a thing that they went in heavily on on Batman and Robin, because reasons. And uh, they got rid of the back credit card. Never leave the cave without it. They, they, they basically got rid of the entire film and jettisoned it. It's really weird because I remember watching it and I thought, this is like a TV show. Did it even have Bane in it after the edit? I can't remember now. Probably not. I think they cut Bane. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of poison ivy either. So the thing is, and I will fight you on this, as the years have passed, I kind of look back at that and go... That's a brilliant Schwarzenegger film. If you ignore everything other than Schwarzenegger. See, I I will I was gonna say I will challenge you to this in a in a potential upcoming special at some point. Definitely. Yeah, we, we we need to we need to watch this. Like I think Schwarzenegger saves the film. It's it's not a good film. It's 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 been many, many years since I've seen it, and I know for a fact that Joel Schumacher has come out in subsequent audio commentaries and said, I am so sorry for making this film. George Clooney's been apologising for every opportunity he gets. <laughs> I always apologise for that. <laughs> Let me just say that uh, I actually thought I'd destroyed the franchise until they brought it back. You know, they, somebody else brought it back years later and changed it. But, you know, I thought at the time this was going to be a very good career move. Um, it wasn't. <laughs> When you consider that he's been in films like, you know, stuff like Syriana, which is, you know, Oscar winning and things like that. And he's even started his career in TV shows like ER. He's even in Return of the Attack, Return of the Killer Tomatoes, for Christ's sake. And he never says anything bad about that. But the fact he was badmouth Batman and Robin just tells you everything you need to know. We won't go into too much detail, but I think no. what it was was how he's sort of he'd been on TV for a while and that was like his big chance of breaking into becoming a Hollywood blockbuster actor. Yeah. And it damn near ruined him. 
and it's remarkable that he survived that and then it was able to still have the career he did um, but we won't go into too much detail otherwise we won't have anything to discuss when when we um maybe get around to watching it yeah for sure so it's almost time to wrap up this special but I want to set you some homework I'm in charge do you feel in charge? okay how well do you remember The Dark Knight Rises? fairly well I remember it being I remember seeing it at the cinema and thought this is quite good subsequently viewings have waned if you excuse the pun in later viewings see I can be funny when I'm not leading the conversation yeah it's easier to throw sarky remarks out than than yeah how does that feel Matt do you like it this gives you power over me (laughs) yeah it's fine it's fine I'll just ignore it (laughs) I would say, despite the Metacritic rating of 78 and fan rating of 8.2, it just does not live up to the two preceding films. Now I'm always smiling. Agreed. Arguably has a lot of brain fart logic. Agreed. What I want you to do is watch this film and have it fresh in your mind. Every single failure of it. (laughs) And And then I am proposing we watch a fan edit of it which I personally believe makes the film far greater in every single way. Okay. And I'm going to tell you nothing detail-wise beyond that. Okay. Do you accept this challenge? I I hereby accept this weird and wonderful challenge that I'm not sure I'm letting myself in for. <laughs> Excellent. But I will do it and I will report my findings to you as soon as possible. I require it in triplicate. Okay, that's fine that's fine I can do that so I just want to say thank you very much for taking me on this weird and wonderful explanation of fan edits so to speak so thank you very much Matt yes would you say it was educational I would say it's been fairly educational fairly educational (laughs) (laughs) again I'm not the one leading this so I can throw all the sarcasm at you I want yeah that's that's fine (laughs) so thank you very much everybody for listening what do you think about fan edits are they technically a moral legal gray area or have you ever seen any why don't you get in contact with us we're over on the twitters as at anyone podcast if you happen to also be on facebook god help you for a start you will find us longer considerations rants and rambles can be sent via email to anyone for seconds at gmail.com don't forget to leave us a like rating review on your podcast platform of choice because it helps us grow. Yes, I did it. Matt's looking at me disgustingly. Because I'm doing the outro, I can do it. So it helps us grow the podcast, reach more ears, and infect more people, so to speak. Not not like that. Not, no. We're, we're on Podchaser as well. I've, I've still not figured it out. It's been like four or five months. If you can figure out what it is, but apparently you can leave us ratings and reviews on there. So if you want to do that, please do that. It's over at podchaser.com forward slash anyone podcast. So I think what is left now is we need to leave our lovely listeners with either a piece of music from a film or something like that. So Matt, what, what do you reckon? Based on you saying this was fairly educational, I suddenly had the pixie spring to mind. <laughs> pixie springs to mind. Okay, we know we know that one. And if you can't find that one, then I think possibly something along the lines of a funky disco version of 
another brick in the wall part two because it does exist if i find it i will send it to you and it is amazing is, is that a fan edit no no it's a it's a fan cover you made a funny thanks again stay safe you got this We are Darth Jar Jar, and this is our album, Labyrinth of Evil. Evil. Evil.